Welcome to the 99 Celsius Podcast. I'm your host, Marco Quay. Thanks for tuning in. This week's episode features DC-based journalist, Kalita Volu. Kalita was born in the DC metro area and is a graduate of Hampton University in Virginia. She currently serves as a digital editor for WUSA 9. She has a fascinating road to journalism. As you'll hear, she had some humbling academic experiences early in her schooling journey. Her aptitude was never in question. It was more a matter of eliciting the right support group to expand her horizons. A plant that has outgrown its pot, a plan for more space became necessary. I present to you Repotting Potential. started as a means of expression, eventually made a favorable impression on all those around her. The gist of the story is one of redemption, the preventive measures a mother takes when the stakes are too great. Displacing her household in favor of a new environment, eyeing a way for her seed to exceed limitations. For Kalita, soil now contained the nutrients necessary for expansion, advancing far past her vision of her own bloom potential, repotting, then plotting on her future. Complacency once rooted in the absence of enrichment, the distance between her potential and her reality closing by the day. By God's grace, all praises do. I welcome you to episode nine. All right, we back. Cold divorce in the building. <laughs> Cold divorce. Cold divorce. Cold divorce. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, special welcome to the 99 Celsius podcast. Mm-hmm. Welcome, Kalita Volu. Thank you for having me. I What's really going on? It. Well, you know, I'm just living life, you know, this quarantine life. Um, yeah, I'm good. How you doing? I'm doing all right, man. That's good. You know, trying to get through these difficult times. I'm telling you, it's hard out here. <laughs> I just sleep, wake up, and I sleep again. <laughs> <laughs> You've been working from home, right? Yeah, so I've been working from home. Yeah, it's it's been an adjustment. It's it's um I'm an I'm an extrovert and um it's kicking my butt. Like I caught myself staring out the window for like five minutes the other day. People watching, I was like, <laughs> <sighs> I'm the just like out here, just looking. Yeah, just staring outside, like just waiting for something to happen. Like nothing, nothing happened, happened, did it? Yeah. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> it was a mess. I hear you. 
I'm not gonna lie. I've been I've been working from home, mm-hmm. just like consistently even before the quarantine. So oh. for me, it's been it's like you know kind of a regular. Oh, so this your life? It's my life. Oh no. You know, there's there's days sometimes I never I don't leave the crib, and so it just feels like. I mean, the, the fact that it's forced now mm-hmm. makes it a little unfortunate. Yeah, like, it hurts when yeah. someone's telling you you got to stay home. Exactly. Yeah, I understand that. Hey. I, mm, I need, I miss the outdoors. I, I feel really it. Do. <laughs> Otherwise, how have things been going? How's your day today? Um, my day's going pretty well. Like, I woke up this morning. I'm feeling, like, mad blessed. Um, so I started my day, like, you know, doing some laundry cleaning, you know, um, Listen to the new Division album. Um, other than that, you know, just vibing. Might cook later. Nice. Who knows? What's yeah. on the menu? Um, I'm making achique and poisson. So it's a it's a Ivorian dish. It's a big fish with uh, um, achique is like uh, cassava grain or whatever. It's super good. Like it sounds like, uh, do you know where Gari is? Yeah, so it is Gari. Ah. But we, Ivorians, we, uh, we dry the Gari in the sun. And then we steam it. Okay. So it comes out, it looks a little bit like couscous. Okay. Um, and then we eat it with fish and like like this vinaigrette vegetable on the side. It's mad good. Yeah. It's so good. What's the prep time on that? That sounds like it's a, a long... Yeah, it, I think it takes about like two hours because you want to marinate the fish. Like you want it to be good. And then you bake it, braise it. Um, and then I should get like, that's pretty easy. You just steam it. It's like okay. making rice. Cool. Mm-hmm. I may need a plate. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> no, for real. I'm serious. I got you. Word? Yeah. All right, I bet. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, welcome. It's so good to have you here. Anytime I jump on the podcast, I give a little context about how I met my guest. Mm-hmm. So for us, we met about two years ago. Yeah. A little a little under two years ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember the day, but it was at a graduation party. That was when it first started. I know you forgot that. A graduation party. It was um I don't want to, you know, I, I get weird about saying people's, people's names, names on, on here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, people, you wouldn't can't want do people's that. governments out here. You know what I mean? Right. But it was in Silver Spring. That should oh, be okay. Clear. I remember now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we, we linked up there. Um, and I think you came in closer to the end. I was I was heading out. But mm-hmm. we had a, a brief conversation and then we were all like, yo, we should go to brunch. Yeah. And I remember saying it. I didn't really know people were on board, but we ended up all going to brunch the next day. Oh, yeah. And it was a lit brunch. Very lit, right? Uh-huh. It was a beautiful summer day. It was. And yeah, it was nice. It was really nice out. And we got to connect. We talked a little bit about art and writing. And I learned more about what you do in your career. So Same. Likewise. Yeah, yeah I really appreciated our conversation. Like, it sure. was really dope. Um, yeah, I know I always come to events late. I'm going to try, but like after this, I'm going to be on time. But yeah, I just really appreciated meeting you that day because who would have known like we would get this far, you know? That's real. Like, and seeing your growth, it's it's been mad dope. So. I can say the same. We were just talking about that off air. I was like, yo, I'm yeah. really seeing the evolution, which is really cool to see. Aw, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Well, let's jump into it. All right, let's so, go. The 99 Celsius podcast, as you know, or may not know, and for the listeners that know or may not know. It is a podcast that really speaks to progression mm-hmm. and the process of boiling water and equates that to our journey as human beings as we're looking to accomplish or achieve what's next. And so uh, with 99 Celsius being one degree before the boiling point of water, mm-hmm. I like to talk about the journey from zero to 99, mm. right? So right before you know we get to that boiling point, even if we're not there yet, if we feel like we're not there, 
it's still this journey um, getting to that point, right? Gotcha. And every journey starts with a zero. So zero degrees Celsius is a point that before we even know that we're on the fire, that's what I like to call, you know, the, the beginning of life, you know, our, our early years mm-hmm. when we're really just living and existing in the world around us with the people that we love and doing things that are innate to us. So as we go back there to the beginning of that journey, what was life like for you growing up? Um, so growing up for me, like, um, so I grew up in the Bladensburg, Riverdale, Highsville area um, in Maryland. I'm a PG County girl, you know. Um, and back in the day, it was, you know, just middle class um, African-Americans living in that area. Um, both of my parents are immigrants from the Ivory Coast or Cote d'Ivoire. Um, so growing up for me was very different, but interest, interesting because I'm a first generation African. So um, I will say that when I was growing up, um, as crazy as it may sound, I'm a journalist today, but English was not my first language. Mm. So I spoke French until the age of five. Here in the States. <laughs> so, right? Here in the States. Yes, yeah. in the States. So okay. at home, my parents only spoke French to me. So, you know, people are like, why did you learn English by then? I watched Tom and Jerry. They don't speak. Um, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> they were just running after that. They didn't speak anything. And then um, as I said, like Teletubbies, they didn't speak. Right. I mean, they just made noises. Like, come on now, you guys. So um, when I was growing up, like I was speaking French, like, like you know, talking or whatever. Um, I remember... Uh, going to, uh, like, there's this grocery store in Bladensburg. It's called Americana Grocery. Okay. Um, and it's a it's a Hispanic grocery store. And um, this is a random story. But I remember the um, the cashier looking at me. I was lost, obviously. Um, so the cashier was looking at me. And um, she was, like, speaking to me. And she was just, I, I think she was telling me, like, where's your mom, like, or whatever. And I just couldn't explain myself. Like, I didn't know how to tell her. I don't know where my mom is or whatever and stuff like that. And when my mom tells a story, the irony of it was she wasn't speaking English to me. She was speaking Spanish to me. I was speaking French to her. And it was just a mess. <laughs> um, but I grew up in an, in an area where it's super diverse. Um, uh, you know, I grew up seeing you know all different types of people here it's uh this part of maryland is just an international hub you'll find hispanics you'll find africans you know you might find a few europeans here so i grew up with such a broad perspective um growing up and i felt like that made me into such a open-minded person that i am today right um and it's so crazy because um, when I started school, I was in ESOL. And ESOL is a program where they take kids, it's, it's called English as a Secondary Language. Um, and they take kids who don't speak English, and then they teach them English. So I learned English uh, through uh, a Caucasian woman on the computer. Mm. So there's some words that I say today that sound like a, a way a Caucasian woman will sound on a computer. Mm. So uh, my counterparts, my colleagues or whatever may say uh, weekend, I say weekend. Uh. What, are you coming over this weekend? Like I say it because when I was learning it on the computer, yeah. that's how she told me to pronounce it, <laughs> weekend. <laughs> gotcha. So it's very, it's very interesting. 
Um, so when I was growing up, like everybody had like the Maryland accent, like, um, you jaw like crazy, like what you doing or whatever, like, <laughs> okay, come on. Um, I didn't talk like that. Yeah. I talk like that Caucasian woman on the computer and, um, I got teased for it, but that's just the way that I learned to express myself, talk and everything like that. Right. And maybe that, um, you know, English crash course, hooked on phonics or whatever, learning um, English was kind of like a segue to, I guess, admiring the English language. I, I correct people, like when I'm talking to them, I, I'm correcting them in my head. Or when I read a post, I'm like, that comma should be over there, not there. So it's like, <laughs> I mean, over time, I guess it started like that. Yeah. And then um, as I started growing a little bit older, uh, my mom gave me a journal and she's just like, um, so my mom, she worked as a tax preparer when I was growing up. So I spent a lot of my time in her office and um, she'll always try to find things for me to do. Like, go do this, go do that. I was a t I was the girl that finished her homework in like 10 minutes. I'm just, I was just so quick with it. Yeah. Um, she's like, go do this, go do that, go color, go do that. I didn't like coloring. I didn't really like drawing, but I loved writing stories. Mm. Like I would make up like these elaborate um, stories about um, this Prince Charming will find this um, bush girl in the village and then he falls in love with her and then they have tons of kids and then she's a, a queen and then she helps people and all that type of stuff. So that's how I started writing these elaborate stories. And my mom started reading them and she's like, oh my God, the prince did what? <laughs> right. You know, I'm <laughs> right. um, just being a very supportive mom and everything like that. Um, so I felt like that was where my love for writing and English really came about. Yeah. Um, at one point I thought I was going to be a teacher. Like I really thought that my life was like, oh my gosh, you're going to be a teacher. You're going to teach. Because I really admired all the teachers in my life because they extended their hands to me in very different ways. Um, but then it kind of shifted mm. when I went into high school. Wow. So <laughs> one of the things that you mentioned was growing up in a household where you were, you learned French. Mm -hmm. So real quick, just to clarify, were both of your parents English speakers at that time? Yeah, so both of my parents were English speakers at that time, um, but when they were at home, they spoke French, okay. and that was just kind of like how they talked to each other, and then I'm in the mix, like, they just spoke French to me. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So, it it wasn't really a secondary language. I mean, I guess it was, because you learned French first, mm -hmm. but you still had support in the household and learning English, right? Yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah, but it wasn't like something, like, it wasn't... We didn't really speak English in the house. Gotcha. But yeah, but okay. So it wasn't the primary language spoken. No, there, it was so. not. Okay. Do you know other languages as well? Yeah. So I um, I speak French. I speak English. I speak Jula. Um, I speak Bambara. Um, Jula and Bambara, they're um, my uh, native tongues. So those are the four languages that I speak. Wow. Mm -hmm. I did not know that you knew all those different languages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay. <laughs> and is there an interest to eventually you know, pick up more along the way? Um, actually, I, I really want to learn um, German. Um, yeah, I feel like I want to learn German, if oh, anything. No. But oh. other than that, I think I'm, I'm good with these. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's very marketable, I, I would assume, especially in your, your field of expertise, mm -hmm, you know, absolutely. being able to connect. And um, they really say, like, once you learn one, you know, you have, like, the ability to pick up others pretty quickly. Would you say that's true? Yes, definitely. Yeah. So, like... Um, 
if you notice, I didn't add Spanish to the languages that I want to learn because French and Spanish, they're very similar. Mm -hmm. So if I'm speaking to a, a Hispanic person and I'm speaking, like I speak French, like I pick up on what they're saying and I can figure out what they're telling me okay. because it's, um, they're both romance languages. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I know I've heard that Spanish and Italian have a lot of similarities as well. Yeah. So they're romance languages. Um, and, I, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe, uh, like Portuguese is in there too. I believe I'm not sure. Yeah. Don't judge me. <laughs> <laughs> not sure. <laughs> okay, cool. So there's this love of language for sure growing mm-hmm. up. And uh, one of the things I found was so interesting, as you you mentioned, was the idea of identity mm-hmm. so early on and just even in something as trivial as how we speak, mm-hmm. the words and the way that we pronounce them and how we learned. Take me a little bit through that that thought process of that experience for you. Was he, Did a part of you dislike the fact that you were being teased for that? And, you know, I mean, what was it like growing up knowing that that people, you know, saw that difference in how you spoke. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I will say though that the when I was growing up, I feel like when you're bullied as a kid, especially growing up in a DMV area, like it really builds character. Mm-hmm. Like, cause you have to have a comeback. Like, you know what I'm saying? Um, I will say though that not only was I teased for being African, um, they used to call me African booty scratcher and I'm sure all my Africans out there, if you're listening to this, you know, we overcame and we, um, we saw it through. Um, so anyways, uh, not only was I teased for being African, but I was also teased for talking the way that I did. Um, when I was growing up, they used to call me Oreo. So, you know, you look at an Oreo cookie, it's chocolate on the outside and it's white on the inside. So I remember people like telling me, oh my gosh, all right, Oreo, come on, let's go. And I'm just like, and uh, it was, it was just interesting. And I remember I taught myself how to talk, how to have the DMV slang. Mm. So I can, I can switch up really quick. Right. Um, and I taught myself how to do that so that I can fit in. Um, and then one day I remember I just, I just was in the moment. I forgot to switch out of the way that I normally talk. I came home and I started talking like my DMV slang or whatever. And my mom was like, my mom was like, you better stop talking like that. I will beat the slang out of you. Mm. Like she was really so mad. Like, (laughs) and she knew that that was a point that identity crisis that I was going through. She knew that I was doing it to fit in. She knew that, you know, I talked differently than everybody else. Cause even when she would imitate me to family members, she'll, she'll have that voice too. Like, she'll be like, Oh, Kalita said I was going to the, like, she'll try to imitate it that way. So everyone around me kind of, knew that um so it was an identity crisis but I feel like um I learned to just be myself I learned to just um navigate uh my environment by being myself if and 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 those around me um uh who who saw me growing up they can say that like you know you know she was herself and she like kind of figured out her way right like the transition from um middle school to like high school like I feel like I've kind of figured that out and I was okay with the way that I was. Um, but that was a, a identity crisis for me. Big for sure. time. Mm-hmm. So at what point does English really become, you know, a, a language that you're comfortable speaking? Cause you, I think it was in elementary school. You were in English, English as a second language, right? Yes. So I, I'm not sure. I can't give the time frame of when I was like speaking English in full sentences, but I can say it was probably like very quick. Um, 
um, because I remember my mom wanted me to test out of Esau mm. in the first grade. Oh, okay. Because the thing about Esau is it follows you throughout your elementary school career, middle school career, and some people are even in it in high school. And it's it's not embarrassing to be pulled out of class, but it's it's sort of embarrassing to like come back in class when you've been pulled out. Yeah. Like, I just feel like it's just weird. So <laughs> I remember telling my, my parents, I'm like, I, I can speak English now. Like, I'm good. Like, you know, I don't need to be pulled out of class or whatever. I'm not that, you know, whatever. So um, I tested out of Esau and I scored extremely high. They were very impressed. Man, and, I, and my mom was like, well, duh, she's smart. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, yeah. Yo, that's that. So you just inspired me to like, I'm going to reveal something. Mm-hmm, go uh, ahead. Do your thing. Have a real vulnerable moment. Because mm-hmm. I know what it means to be transparent about something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up myself, I had, there was a, a point academically where my teachers were like, oh, you know, the, his reading speed may not be as, as quick as it needs to be. It's not at grade level. Mm-hmm. And I remember being pulled out. Of, yeah, they, they, yeah, it started off first as like, oh, we have this test that we want you to take. Mm-hmm. They're like, you weren't here. You were absent the other day. And I was like, oh, okay. So like, I left class to go do it. And then they're like, yeah, you have to finish it. And I'm like, okay, I finished it. Mm-hmm. And then each week, they would pull me in every week with this group. And I'm like, they never really said like, yo, you're, about to, you're doing a remedial learning thing or whatever. Mm. But I started to realize every single week we were going and eventually my parents had said something to me at home, like, yo, we don't want you in that thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yo, I didn't even know it was formal, right? So oh, wow. I was super, and it's funny now, because I was good at math my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I even thought that that was the direction I wanted to go in. Mm-hmm. And language and writing and all that mm-hmm. were not things of interest for me. But as I got older, words became more and more natural to me. Gotcha. To the extent now where like I enjoy words and this part, this side of the world, the more creative stuff, much more than a logical thing. Gotcha. Um, but I, I really related to what you were saying, like the embarrassment factor and like, mm-hmm. like you were like, I wouldn't say it's embarrassing. I'm like, yeah, it was embarrassing. It was, <laughs> like, like, I remember and, that. And I've always been sort of like a, like a, like a funny comedian type of girl. Yeah. Um, and I remember my friend, her name was Precious. That's <laughs> interesting. Her name was Precious. Um, and she used to be like, why do you always have to leave? And I'm like, <laughs> and I, I remember like, these are just memories I have stored somewhere in my head. Yeah. And I remember telling her, I said, oh, they just make me, um, they just feed me a lot of snacks and make me do <laughs> games on the computer. She said, wait, what? For real? You play games on a computer? And I'm like, yeah, girl, yes, I do. <laughs> and they just give us snacks. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you gotta find a way to make it positive, yeah. Exactly. And she was like, I wanna do Esau too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, now nah, I'm right there with you, yo. But mm-hmm. it's dope to hear that, you know, you navigated it and then here you are. Like, first of all, like the fact that you're in journalism now is crazy. Mm-hmm. So we'll get there eventually, but. I mean, I just think that that's such a testament to the hard work and, and just even your intelligence, right? Like, right. you know, navigating through and learning new things and not being afraid to go through that fire. That's, like, super dope. And, like, I love the fact that you shared that. Mm-hmm. It was mad vulnerable, so I was like, I really connect with that. Oh, that means yeah. a lot. You know, right. being pulled out wasn't easy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, what happens after that period of time? So you test out, you scored really high, and mm-hmm. um, so at this point, I guess English is like pretty natural to you early on in, in mm-hmm. um, elementary school now. So what were your hobbies and interests just as a kid? 
Um, so I was always the girl that really, uh, uh, this is, this might come off in a very vulnerable, maybe insecure type of standpoint, but I was always a girl that always strived to be popular. Mm. So I would, I was, I did cheerleading. I was a band dancer. I, uh, was part of a dance group and all that type of stuff. So those were my, my, like my school interests, Mm -hmm. I would say. Um, but outside of school, um, I felt like I was the person that would kind of journal or stuff like that. Um, I know a lot of people when they have a journal, they'll, it's hard for them to, to write in it every day. But at one point in my life, I was writing in my journal twice a day. Wow. Like I had a lot to say in my journal and I'm so grateful that I lived in an African household where it was okay for me to express myself, which was fine. Like I could express myself or whatever, but I just like, I just, I'm a dramatic person. I just had like so much to like talk about and just say or whatever. And I'm the only child. So I had no one to talk to, but my dolls and my mom and I needed another outlet too. So I would journal and really just go in on my journals. Like I would talk about how, so-and-so at school today did this, that, how it made me feel, um, and things like that or whatever. And my parents were very respectful about my journaling. And I I think my mom never read my journals because if she did, I'll be in a lot of trouble. (laughs) But, um, it was always kind of like that thing. Like I always expressed myself in that way, especially being an only child. Yeah. So those were like my hobbies. I loved band dancing or whatever. And I was a dancer. And then in high school, um, I played lacrosse too. So like I always put myself in situations to like, like be popular. Like, I don't know why I did that. Yeah. I was actually, I was going to ask about that. I don't know why. I don't know why I did that. I felt like, um, um, I don't know. It's It's a really good question. I'm really thinking about it, but I really always was out there. Maybe like, there's some connection to like being an only child and like really looking for, you know, a, a, like a network, right? And like connection to yeah, a larger Yeah, maybe group. that was that. Maybe that was that. And I didn't have a problem making friends. Like mm-hmm. I was always the person to like put myself out there and like talk to someone too. Cause I don't have nobody to talk to at home. Yeah. You know, when my mom's going to make me like, we don't talk about, like, it was just, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. But that's, a, I'm, now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, I really don't know why, but like, I was always in that position. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when you're writing in, a, in your journal at that point, early on in life, it's more expressional than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm sure you may not be that focused on or super focused on like mechanics and mm-hmm. uh, literary elements and things of that sort. Gotcha. Um, but eventually you get to a point where you're writing stories. Is that still in elementary school? Is that middle school at this point? So it was, um, that was, that was ele- ending elementary school, um, starting middle school. Okay. Cause I what went- was the transition from like journaling to like, Oh, you know what? I think, um, like, was there a point where you were like, Oh, I like writing. Um, I didn't realize I liked writing until high school during oh, a okay. shift. Okay. Uh, I was going to tell you that later, okay, but yeah, yeah. I went through a second identity crisis in middle school. So before that identity crisis, like it was like ending elementary school, going into like beginning middle school, I was like journaling a lot. Okay. Um, so I really liked to do that and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was before my second identity crisis in middle school, I Got would say. Um, but but yeah, that's where that whole transition was. It happened. And a lot of people say that um, good journalists or whatever, they read a lot. 
But the truth is, I think I'm a great journalist, but I don't, I didn't read that much. I read books. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I read books. Um, I was the kid that like finished the books of the months to, to win those, um, wizard tickets or like, you know, <laughs> Orioles tickets or whatever. Right. I always got those tickets at the end of like the semester or the other month. Like I finished the books, but I didn't read for enjoyment. I read for like an incentive or because of classwork or whatever. Um, but I wrote a lot. Mm. Um, so I felt like that kind of like led me into that journey. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, but the writing, what made you, I guess the connection that you had to writing or what excited you about it was the ability to, to uh, showcase these emotions that you, you had on the heart. Yes. Okay. That, I think that was um, the main point. Cause, uh, cause when I was growing up, like in the beginning of my life, my parents were together and then they weren't together anymore. And then it was just me and my mom. So that whole transition, I wrote about it. Like, you know, what I'm feeling or how I'm doing. I didn't want to like bombard my mom with so much of my feelings because she, because at such a young age I knew she was going through a lot already. Right. Um and it was kind of like this is before therapy was like a thing. Like right. therapy just hit the the scene like 8 years ago. <laughs> yeah. So it was like this is before it was all a thing. Like I would just really write about it. And I was always that one friend that seemed stronger than the rest of her friends. So I never went to my friends about my problems, mm. but I would always write about my issues and stuff and then journaling and um, storytelling or whatever the case may be. So yeah. that's kind of how it was for me. Okay. So all that's towards the end of uh, elementary and then you eventually graduate into middle school mm-hmm. and uh, writing, it sounds like takes a turn to now become maybe a, more of a form of creativity and entertainment for mm-hmm. you. Tell me a little bit about that. Okay. So I would say that um, when I reached middle school, I, so we had these tests called like SRIs or like the, you know, you have to take those English tests or whatever the case may be. I always scored advanced and I was just advancing all the time. It was literally to the point where I would never forget this day. Um, my English teacher pulled my, uh, it was the principal of my middle school aside and was like, look at this. And in my head, what, like, it's so crazy because in middle school, being too smart wasn't cool. Like, mm. you know what I'm saying? Like, being in the, like, lost in the sauce, but everybody else is cool. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Misery and, loves company. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was, like, in a midst of trying to, like, trying to fit in and, you know, do ratchet things with my ratchet friends. But in the back, like, I am so smart, you know, to the point, like, you know, I got pulled aside several mm. times because of it. In regards to writing, as far as math, I won't go there today. <laughs> um, so, like, I would score advance, advance, advance. And then there was a situation that happened where um, it's like you take it quarterly or something. And then I took it and I didn't score as high. And I would never forget my uh, my English teacher pulled me aside and was like, what's going on? Is everything OK at home? And I'm like, yeah, everything's fine. Like, nothing's wrong. Was it actually fine? Yeah, everything okay. was fine at yeah. home. And she was like, "Yeah, you didn't you didn't score advanced. You scored like I scored I think I scored like proficient mm-hmm. or something." And she was like, it, and I and I I'm now that I'm looking back on it, I felt like she was probably insecure about her teaching. Mm-hmm. I saw why Kalita isn't growing, but she's moving back. Um, but little did she know, it was kind of like I just finessed the test. I just was like, you know, I at that point I had a big head at that point. You know, I just finessed the test. But oh, I couldn't you're saying her. what you just didn't try. I didn't try. Uh, so I, I feel like, and it's crazy because like, 
she knew, like, she asked me, she knew, she knew I was just, it's light work. Like, you know, right. like, yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I remember she, she, like, I remember she was just telling me, like, you know, this, you know, we're, we're worried about you, you know, just want to make sure that you're, you're growing and you're learning and everything like that. And you're, it, it, it's, it's clicking in for you. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's definitely clicking in. But, and then I looked at her eyes and I just realized that, um, she was just, uh, she was so like hurt about it, mm. but I wasn't. Mm. And that kind of made me feel hurt that she was hurt about my success. And I'm, she cared more about my success than I did at that point. And I realized that I'm like, okay, yeah, this is not, this is not where, this is not cool anymore or whatever. So when I thought about that and I was like, yeah, that wasn't cool or whatever. So what was it that you identified? Like what wasn't cool to you? Um, I felt like what wasn't cool to me um, was the fact that I didn't like, I I just didn't really care about, I just didn't, at that point, I just really didn't care about like, like, like my strength, like what I was good at or whatever. So that's when it clicked for you. Like, you know what? I need to, I need to give 110% effort. Yeah, I did. She looked, she was so disappointed. Yeah. She looked at me like she was very disappointed in me. It's the power of an educator. And Which I'm, is like amazing, and that's why I, I, that's why I said at one point I wanted to be a teacher because yeah. I'm telling you, some teachers really, they, some teachers really pour their hands like on my life, like it was, like she did not have to do that right. at all, like pulling me aside to like say that or whatever. But I'm just really grateful for that, and um, yeah, her name was Miss Yarbrough. Mm. I will never forget her. Shout out to her. Yeah. <laughs> so what does that end up breeding for you? Um, so I guess in that sense, it was like, I think that was the moment where I realized, um, the power of my success, how far I can, you know, no, the importance in the power of my success because it impacted her. She was so proud of my success, more proud than I was. I didn't even know how serious it was until I failed her. Mm. So that, that moment in my life taught me that ever since then I, um, I'll say that um, I would never fail myself again. No, that's right. So, mm-mm. Yeah. And that's that. I feel it. <laughs> so, what were you writing during this time of middle school, around this, this period of time? Because you, you're like, yo, my head was getting bigger. Mm-hmm. So, you're doing, you know, you're writing more. And at this point now, you're aware of your achievement and your skill set. Yeah. So, but um, what was the what was the content? What, what type of stuff were you producing? So, I, I, I stopped writing. Middle school... Toward, like it was like middle school going into high school. I stopped writing. Got it. I, I stopped writing. Hold on. Wait, the short stories and stuff that you were writing, that was, did, did that happen yet or is that high school? Um, That was high school. Oh, so, okay. Okay. So um, real quick to make sure I got it. Um, Elementary, you're writing. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of journaling though. Mm-hmm. Um, And then... You become you you become aware that you write well. Yes. Um, you're writing two times a day in your journal, mm-hmm. and you, so you're sharpening the skill set. Mm-hmm. Then you get to middle school, and you just kind of like yeah. Ah. And it was it's a habit. Like when once you stop, it's just kind of like mm, no. Did you still feel like you had? Was it the fact that maybe emotionally things had calmed down for you that you didn't feel the need to journal as much? And that's a really good point that you said that because I definitely think so. Mm. I think that that was the moment that I was okay with just it being my mom and I. Like, I feel like it was like a, it was like a shift in my life too. Right. And, um, 
and I also like during that time, my mom and I, we had a lot of miscommunication and stuff. And that was the moment where our communication grew because through that lack of communication, like I started opening up to her a lot more mm. during that time. So I didn't really need to, to write anymore. Yeah. Um, that's a really good point. Yeah. I didn't really need to write anymore. And I actually stopped writing and I picked up writing again towards the end of high school. Real. Okay. So now you, you get to high school and emotionally, what is life like for you at this point? Um, you know, you and your mom are getting closer towards mm-hmm. the end of middle school. Mm-hmm. So that connection is there. Um, are there other things going on for you emotionally? Have you repaired uh, maybe relationships with your father at that point? Mm-hmm. And, you know, what was it just like in, during that high school period? So I feel like in high school, it was a very interesting period because my mom was at a point where she shifted careers. Okay. Um, so she shifted careers. My mom fell in love in like, it was like middle school time going into high school. Um, so that changed a lot too. Mm -hmm. Um, and then during that time, uh, I feel like my, the relationship that I had with my father was always there. We, we always had like a great relationship. Um, I would say that for high school for me, so just to give you like a, like a look, um, I did my ninth and 10th grade year in this part of the DMV in Bladensburg. And then my 11th and 12th grade year, I did it in Baltimore. So yes, like a, the most important times of your life, you, you have like this huge shift. Yeah. So when I was in Bladensburg, I was a product of my environment, meaning I was, I felt like I was continuing to do hood rat stuff with my friends. And I, <laughs> I was always a kid that was like super smart. Um, I would skip school. Um, cause I, I lived like, it was just me and my mom. My mom didn't come home till five. So I had, I made sure that I would take the F8 just in time to get home by four eighteen, <laughs> clean the house so that she comes home at five and I act like I was there the whole time. Wow. Like I was, it was so strategic. Um, so it was at that point where it was kind of like, I was really just out and about. I used to skip school to PG mall with my friends. We used to, do you know hang out go out or whatever I'll go to school and all that type of stuff I feel like I was dwindling down such a bad path in a sense um because of my environment I felt like I was surrounded by people who were intellectually smart just like I was but because of the amount of freedom that we had at home we took advantage of that and would just do what we wanted to do. Like, you know what I'm saying? Um, And that was my life in Bladensburg. And then um, this is where things get really funny. So Bladensburg High School is a high school where they have uh, like, um, they have programs to allow students to, like it's like different programs that students can take um, as an alternative instead of going to college. And they, they put these programs in these neighborhoods where they know that it might be difficult for these students to go to college in. So just in case they have a certificate or some sort and they can make a life for themselves. Right. So Blazer High School had a biomedical program where you can um, train to be a nursing assistant. And then they had a, um, like, a, like a license to be a daycare uh, provider and then they had one where you could be a cosmetologist so they had a whole cosmetology school on the fifth floor so 
I was always good with makeup, hair, and all that type of stuff. So I was really considering it. So I applied for the cosmetology program. I, I literally turned in my application the last day. <laughs> um, like when I tell you, I procrastinated so much. It was crazy. Right. And then the program is for two years. You do it your 11th and 12th grade year. And when you graduate from high school, you have your cert- certification. So um, I turned in my application. I was going to be a cosmetologist, like have my license and right. everything like that. And I told my mom that I turned in my, um, I turned in my application and she was like, oh, th- like this will be good if you, um, uh, you know, if you, if you got this license and did hair on the side and then you go to college. And what I said, grade is this again? This was 10th grade. Okay. And this I said. This is before moving. Yeah, this is before moving. Okay. And I said, on the side, if I go to college, that's when I was thinking about college. Mm. It was weird. My mom is a college-educated woman, very intelligent woman. She has two degrees. Um, and But I just never, I was like, dang, college, okay, all right. Because in my head, all my friends are like doing these programs to like make a better life for themselves, but I don't think they're doing college or anything right. like that. Um, they were probably going to do community college or something. Um, and I remember so telling- It wasn't really pushed in your, in your high school? No. Interesting. College okay. was not pushed in my high school. Like- if Prince George's County Public Schools superintendent wants to come after me today, we can go back to back because I got receipts. I'm telling you, I got receipts. It was not like these per like they 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 put these programs in these high schools for for it, like you know these neighborhoods like at risk neighborhoods with like because because they know that you know it's a middle class area but it's like very hard it's a like hard working middle class area and not not everyone's gonna make it so. We want them to make it in some way, so we're going to provide this opportunity for them. And which was okay, but college should have been pushed harder, yeah. which it wasn't. Um, and so that was that. So um, I got the letter that summer. No, not that summer. I got the letter like uh, a couple weeks after that I got into the cosmetology program. And I was like super excited. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do hair and all that type of stuff, I guess. Um and then fast forward, like into the future terms, my mom told me that when I got my letter that I got accepted to the cosmetology program, she said that she panicked and called my stepfather, Charles, and was like, we have to leave here. Mm. Yes. She said that. And, and when Charles tells the story, it's so funny. He said, he said, he tells me my mom cried on the phone <laughs> <laughs> and was like, she, she has to leave here. She's getting comfortable. Wow. Yeah. And it's so crazy. And my, um, and then my sophomore year, like the last, like fourth quarter, the last semester of my sophomore year, we moved. We moved to Baltimore to live with um, my stepfather. Um, my parents got a house there and we lived in Baltimore County in like a very, you know, affluent area. Um, and I, the, my whole life shifted. Right. At that, what was the shift? The, the huge shift was, I was put in an environment where I had no choice but to succeed. Mm. I did not have my friends. I did not know anyone down there at all. I started in a new school with new people. They had a different accent. I did not know these people at all. And I had no choice but to go home and do homework, study, and read. That, that was my life. And that shift for me... Um, was very humbling because 
it was the most hardest time. Like the like it was so hard. Like it was the hardest time of my life. I used to cry every single day because I just did not like I did not like my new school. I did yeah. not like that or whatever. And my mom was like, if you don't like it, you need to change your situation. Mm-hmm. So that school was a magnet school and they were very focused on college and you had a pathway. So you, it was like STEM. So you can do science, technology, math or whatever. And in the technology pathway, they had journalism. Mm. So I was like, and I, rem- I remember when I first started the school, they made me take a test. I, I scored really well on it. And they're like, what's your pathway? And I'm like, okay. Oh, you have to choose a track. Yeah, yeah. choose a track. <clears throat> so I'm looking at this list. I'm like, ain't nobody got time to be on computers. No, I don't I don't like math. No, engineering? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Science? Oh, hell no. <laughs> right. And then I was like, oh, journalism. Okay. I, I mean, I used to write back in the day. I could do it. Um, yeah, so, sure. So at this point, are you writing yet? No. So you so you're still on hiatus. Yes. Okay. And you get into the school and you see journalism yes. and you're like, mm, I'm like hey, I, I used to do that. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. I yeah. mean, it's it's close, you know. And uh, I was like, sure, I'll just do journalism. It was literally I literally picked it because I was tired of my mom staring at me like, <laughs> which one? Which one? No, like, yeah, journalism. Journalism it is. Right. I love journalism. I was just like, let's do that. So I picked the the journalism pathway. Um, and the way that the classes were set up was I took AP classes, honors classes, GC classes. And then um, two of my classes would be a journalism class. And that was my favorite class. <clears throat> I love journalism. Yeah. I learned how to edit, shoot. I was on the, the morning news network at school um, and everything like that. Um, I had a great teacher who really, really looked at me one day and was like, you're going far in journalism. And I can tell. Wow. Like he, it, it, like he literally like was just like, Kalita is, she is it. I had teachers come up to me and tell me, oh my gosh, you're, you're, you're the girl that does the morning news. And I'm like, yeah, I do. They're like, you're so good at it. Wow. You're so good. You, you speak so well. You're a great writer. Like you're so good. I'm like, well, thanks. I appreciate <laughs> it. And then just getting all of these positive affirmations was like, okay, I think I found my way. Mm. So it was literally to the point where like, I, I just invested all of my time into that. And then senior year, I was part of an internship program in my school where uh, half of the day I would be in class and the other half I would be at an internship. Now, is that something that you, that the school sets up? Is it like required? Is it a journalism requirement? No. Or? So you have to apply for that internship program. Okay. And it's like an interview process. You have to uh, put in a, like an application or whatever. They look at your grades or whatever. Because they need to know if they can trust you right. to spend half of your day at an internship and not in class. Which is which is why I guess I asked, because I'm like, just a year ago, mm-hmm. or maybe a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. you you were on hiatus writing. Mm-hmm. You were choosing this program. You're like, I kind of did it. Mm-hmm. And like, you were engaged when you saw you were doing well. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you had just, you were just at a point where you weren't fully applying yourself. Exactly. So just in, in a year's time, you're it, now like, oh, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm doing, like, you decided you wanted to do the internship. Yes. 
Look at that. It was a year. That's why I call it my big shift. Yeah. Like my mom and I, we talk about it all the time, like in conversation. She'll be like, yeah, man, I'm so glad I got you out of there. <laughs> like she always says that. But like that's that big shift because of that moment in my life. I can say I am where I am today. Wow. I can definitely say that with without without hesitation yeah. not whatsoever. So I, that, that huge shift in my life, like I, so junior year, I was all invested into journalism classes and doing all those, all those cool things and staying after school to like really get a a paper out or, or something like that. I really enjoyed it. Um, and then senior year, I'm part of this internship program. And so kids around the County applied for, uh, this internship with, uh, Baltimore County public schools news network. And um, they said they had like over 500 applicants and only picked four. And I was one of the four. Wow. I'm over here like, oh my gosh. Like I had to send in a reel. I had to send in writing samples, get letter recommendations, all of that stuff. Like I was really on it. Like I sit after school every day. Like I used to call my teacher like, does this sound right? Is this okay? Like I worked so hard for it. And then I I got that internship. And it was literally like the best thing ever. So I would leave school, go to that internship. And that internship was in Towson, Towson, okay. Maryland. So I would uh, leave school, go to that internship, and like um, I would write stories, voice so do voiceovers. They loved when I did voiceovers because like I sounded like a like a. They said that during, like when I did voiceovers, I sounded like a learning module or something. <laughs> so I used to do like educational videos for for kids. So yeah. I was the one that would say, make sure you right click. Next to the like that was me. Now that I hear that it, I would definitely need you to do some research for me. <laughs> so I was like, "Oh, this is so tough." Yeah. Like you know, and I really enjoyed it. And that was that moment where I really was like thinking about like college real heavy. Like mm. I want to go to college for journalism. Like I want to do this like for real, for real. And yeah, so then that's when college started for me so you applied to yes so i applied to hampton i applied to delaware state i applied to la salle university um i applied to uh i applied to a lot of schools like i I, those are the ones that i can think of right now that have really good journalism programs um like syracuse all of those like I, i like i've just applied to all of these really great schools um and I felt like what le- what led me towards Hampton was kind of like financial reasons. Like, cause some schools like you get in, but you didn't, they wouldn't give you money. So it was kind of like, uh, what do I do? You know? Um, so I applied to all these schools and I ended up, I got my acceptance from Hampton on Christmas day. Mm. And I knew that was a sign. Wow. I said, yep, this is the school I'm going to. So this is that. So, um, I got into Hampton, um, and for journalism, which was super cool. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So what's your time like at Hampton as you're navigating journalism? Uh, my time at Hampton was really interesting in regards to journalism because it was like your first year in college, you're doing all these gen ed stuff, like general education courses or whatever. And then you transition into uh, like your actual major. And then I remember the the day that like I walked into Scripps Howard School of Journalism um, for like my first like class, it was like Jack 101. I, it was like in an auditorium and I was just in there. I'm like, wow, I made it. Like, 
And I'm like, everybody in here like trying to be like journalists or like public relations or all those other things. I'm like, I'm really in here right now. Like, yeah. this is super cool. I loved, I loved going into the journalism um, building. But like every other building on Hampton's campus was mad old. Mm. But Scripps Howard's building. Was yeah, I've super- seen it. Anytime I'm there, it's like. It, yeah, the windows are real nice. It's right? so yeah. nice, and like we have I've never been inside. We have though. more computers in there than our library. Like it's like wow. they really poured into when I my time there when yeah. I was there. I can't speak for now, but when I was there, they really poured into that school. That's like right. they had we like every week we had NBC, ABC come in. We had like different PR agencies. Like people come and talk to us about career development. It was very encouraging. Yeah. Um, and it's just like everybody's there chasing their dreams. And it's like, I got to chase mine ASAP, yeah. you know? And it's so encouraging being around people who um, who are pushing for the same things that you want too. Because then you lean on each other. Like, you know, not just, oh, did you do this assignment? But, oh my gosh, like, what did you think about this or that or whatever? And it was, it's just, it was a great time, yeah. honestly, for me. And I'm just so grateful for it. So you're in school now, and they're they're pouring resources into you, and you're looking at this, and you're like, "Ooh, this is the direction I want to go in." Mm-hmm. Was there a vision for what that may, what a career in journalism may look like for you mm-hmm. at that point? So when I first um, entered Hampton, I wanted to be. I had this dream of being a news reporter slash news anchor. Excuse me. So that was like my dream like I was like I'm gonna do it because when I was in high school that's what I did I was I was reporting news and I was like on a little tv and then during my internship I was reporting and um um, anchoring stuff so I was like okay this is what I want to do and so I always shifted into doing that so any programs that I was in at Hampton or whatever I would try to I would try to like gear towards that Um, But then over time, as I started taking more classes, understanding the industry a little bit better, being in front of the camera wasn't so fun anymore. Hmm. It became more like, so you're telling me when I graduate and I want to be a news reporter, I will only be making $20,000 a year and I will be living in a state that I I don't know anyone in order to start my career. And that's the realities of the industry? Yes, of being wow. a, that's the realities of being a, like a reporter or like if you want to make your way up to being a news anchor, like yeah. that's the reality of it. And when I thought about that, that scared me. I can't, no, I cannot survive off of $20,000 and uh, report news in a random state where I don't know anyone for, and then be trapped in a contract for two years that scared me so mm-hmm. much. And I'm like, why? It, it almost confused me. I was like, why is it that this whole time I'm investing all this time and money to reach this goal? And I didn't, I did not do like full research on it. I was very disappointed in myself for that. I was like, why didn't I not do research on this? This is not exactly what I want. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when I realized that, I was just like, oh, I need to figure this out right. ASAP. Um, so I did a lot of internships in, um, in college. So I did a lot of like film internships, like, uh, production internships. I, um, I did internship with the media, media productions at Hampton, um, working with the, uh, the football team, like traveling with them and doing like 
um, sports packages. And my biggest internship at, of all, I interned with Jimmy Fallon in, um, in New York. So I feel like when I interned in New York with Jimmy Fallon, I was, it was, the, oh, the, we need, we need more diversity in media y'all because mm. it was hard out here for your girl. <laughs> <laughs> I was the only black girl, um, among the internship class. It was just all Caucasians and just, we, we weren't out there. Mm. I had to represent us, yeah. you know what I'm saying? In that environment it's very interesting. Um, so I interned there and. I realized that I don't want to work for such a large media corporation with so many hands and all that type of stuff. I loved entertainment news. It was super dope. Like working for Jimmy Fallon, seeing famous people every day, like it was super cool. But I was just like, I don't know if this is for me. So I had all these different internships trying to figure out and navigate what, where I needed to be in journalism. And, um, and I didn't know until after I graduated. So, and when I and that was scary, right? Compared to my peers who already secured jobs, um, and compared to my other peers who, uh, who who knew from the jump what they wanted to do, right? It was so scary. I acted like I knew what I wanted to do, but I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So real quick with the the Jimmy Fallon piece, mm-hmm. I would reckon probably people in your life, most people around you looked at you when you landed that and they were like, yes, like, oh my goodness, you're popping, you're around X, Y, and Z, you, you know, you're meeting all these people, um, but you're looking at it and you're like, it's not as diverse as I wanted to, wanted mm-hmm. it to be, I don't know if I want to be in a big show or a big company like this, right? So you had these thoughts and you were navigating this space. Take us through the reality of, of those circumstances. Like, what exactly were you experiencing on set there? And, oh, you know, it's like, I don't want to incriminate myself, you guys. I don't <laughs> want NBC coming after me. Um, I told myself I would die with these stories. I would not share okay. them. Okay. But I will try my best to kind of like give you an example sure. that does not incriminate me, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> um, but let's just say for the Jimmy Fallon um, internship, that was God because, um, I applied for the internship while I was also online for Delta. <laughs> it's, 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 it gets funnier, you guys. <laughs> so that was like a huge stressful moment in my life. Um, just know that I'm a strong black woman, okay? Um, so there were there were 26,000 applicants and they only picked 14. Oh and I was one of the 14 to land wow. that internship with the Jimmy Fallon. Um, <clears throat> I will say that when I was, uh, interviewing for that, uh, position, I was in a very compromising situation, but I'm just, I just thank God that I got that internship. Um, but when I was at the internship, I was, I was very uncomfortable because I had to move to New York and live with my aunt, the aunt that I didn't I'm like, Oh my gosh, God, I hope she doesn't hear this, but she's not my favorite aunt. No, it's fine. You know what? I'm gonna keep it real. You know what I'm saying? Auntie, if you hear this, I'm so sorry. Like it was just really rough. So she's she's not my favorite aunt. Out of all my aunts, she's like last place. So I had to like live in New York with her. Um, and I had to really like find my way. Like I had to take I had to take a bus and a train to get to 30 Rock every day. <laughs> um, so it was always it was like a trek to get to work every day. So like 
when I when I made it, like I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, but as far as like some of the experiences, I'm gonna just tell y'all this story. But they had a talk with us, like you know, about it. But I just feel like this needs to this needs to be shared so that I'm sure other people can can relate to this if, you, if this has ever happened to you in, in a workplace or whatever. So, um, so Jimmy Fallon was pre-taping for the hiatus. So when you so with um, entertainment news, they have hiatuses for like two weeks and that's when like you go on vacation or whatever. But you think that it's live, like airing today or whatever, but they just pre-tape the shows during those two weeks so that he can take a break or whatever. Um, and then the rest of the team can take a break or go on vacation or whatever. So he was pre-taping for hiatus. And I'm not going to name the guests on this sh- on the show just for privacy reasons. I do not want to be incriminated. So there was a guest that came on the show. Um, he was an older white man, very well-known older white man. Um, and, um, he was just, he just had a conversation, uh, like, I don't know, Jimmy was just like trying to, you know, he's trying to make things funny and get stuff out of him or whatever. And there was a part of the conversation he was talking about how, uh, uh, a group of black men, uh, someone robbed his, his mansion or something. And then he found out that it was a group of, n-words with the hard r at the end um who robbed his house and he was like i'm just so sick and tired of these n-words with the hard r um just thinking that they can take anything grab anything or whatever the case may be or whatever we should have we should have got rid of them a long time ago hung up their asses or excuse my language is this backstage is this on air no so they're filming Oh my goodness. So it wasn't live, but they yeah. were filming for the hiatus. So yeah. they're filming this. Um, and there was a live studio audience in there. And it, when the live studio audience, like they'll tell them to laugh or whatever. Mm-hmm. And when that happened, when I tell you the whole studio was like, what just happened just now? Like, are what's going on? And uh. like some of the audience members were nervous. Like some didn't laugh. Some were like, shit. <laughs> should, should we laugh? Like it was just very weird. Right. And the Roots, you know, that's the band for mm-hmm. um, Jimmy Fallon. Um, Quest Love literally got up and left the studio, like mid interview. And like you could, there was like a point where like we could see the recording. There was a point where you could see him walk past the camera. And, like he just left the building. Wow. And then the rest of the band members left. And um, and then the guy was like, I, I, I don't know why, I don't know why you guys are getting. Um, I mean the the guest was like, I don't know why you guys are getting offended. I'm telling the truth, aren't I? Aren't I? And he starts laughing. And Jimmy Fallon's like, uh, uh, okay, yeah, so we're, we're going to go on break. He, like, really panics. Um, so after that taping happened, that I don't know what the executive team decided to do. Are they going to take the good parts of the interview and just film and then air that or whatever? But I will tell you that they did air – they did end up airing that guest, but they removed – that part of the interview. Right. Um, so, so basically that, that part happened and the, um, the head, um, the executive producer, um, at the time he, uh, came to the intern pod and our pod was near the kitchen. He came to the intern pod. Um, me and the, another black intern, he's a guy, I'm a girl. We were like sitting in the kitchen, just like working on other things. He goes to the intern pod and, all of the interns, they're Caucasians. None of them are black. And he is talking to them. 
not the actual black people. He is talking to them. And this is? Um, this is the, uh, at the time, the executive producer okay. of the show. He's talking to them. He was, he was like, I just want to apologize to you guys um, about what happened in there. Um, if you guys feel offended in any type of way, um, just reach out to us and just let us know. Um, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't expect that to happen. Um, we're still gonna, we've decided that we're still going to air the interview, but we're going to cut out those parts. Um, we apologize if it made you feel any type of way, this, that, and the third. Me and the black intern looking at each other like, when are you going to look at us? It's just like that. When like, you gonna look discom- at us? Like, yeah, like, wait, wow. we're the ones that are actually offended. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. we we are. Like, hello. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're over here. We're yeah. the ones that are actually offended, sir. Like, but he didn't even look our way. We were unnoticeable. He was literally looking at them. Like, I'm so sorry. Hope we didn't offend you guys. And da da da. If you need anything, here's my card. And da da da. And he left the room. Wow. And then our interns, they noticed that it was mad awkward and they come to us and they're like, are, are you guys okay? And because as um, uh, being black individuals in a very white environment, we're taught to, to act like we are. Because if we act like we're not okay, we're either being too dramatic about the situation, um, we're being overly sensitive, it makes us look weak. And it's so crazy how my my fellow black person and I were on the same wavelength. We're like, oh yeah, we're fine, we're good. Mm-hmm. But deep down, that sh- I mean, that really hurt. Yeah, it really hurt a lot hearing him say that and all that type of stuff. And then the apology wasn't even directed to us in the first place. So just just that's that was an experience that right. I was just kind of like. It's it it was it was very interesting. Yeah, it's like a, a really a sobering experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like you sometimes I think like as African Americans we we walk into rooms and or we we want to to make it into rooms so bad and mm-hmm. we finally get there and it, sometimes it's not everything we imagined. Exactly. Right? And we have experiences like that and it's like, wow. You know, who would have thought and something like that doesn't air. And I I understand that, right? Because obviously you don't want to offend people, so you take it out. Mm -hmm. But then there's no there's no track record of it. It doesn't Mm -hmm. exist. Like it never happened. Exactly. And we have to act like it never happened. Right. At all. And this specific guest who was on the show, um, he's living his life. People love him. Exactly. And everything like that. And it, it it never happened. And that's the thing, like what people don't know is when guests come on the show, when they have that mug, they got lick in there. Like, yeah, you could request, like, <laughs> a drink in there. You could request, like, some vodka or liquor. Wow. Everybody think they got tea in their little cups. No, they're they're literally probably drinking. Wow. They probably have in a mug. Yeah. Like, you think it's water yeah. or whatever. Some people get water, juice, or whatever. But majority of the people that get on the show, like, I've seen probably scotch in that mug or uh, vodka or something on ice or whatever in that mug that they're wow. drinking. So, I mean, maybe he was, he got too lit in the dressing room or set, was saying some stuff or whatever, but, um, that was a very big eye opening moment for me. Yeah. Um, because, um, because like, it's just the diversity, just, it was just lack of diversity during that moment. Um, and I remember doing my exit interview, I said, you know, I don't know who, I don't know if you guys chose your next internship class, but I just really feel like you need a lot of, you need um, diff- people from different backgrounds in here, different perspectives and everything. 
because when I got to know my fellow colleagues, I, I learned over time that their dad knew somebody that knew somebody. Yeah. yeah. So I learned even, that over time. Right. Like majority of them, it was like through connections. Like, you know, my dad's a lawyer that knew this lawyer that knew this lawyer that knew him who knew him. And that's how I got this internship. Yeah. And I'm thinking about the 26,000 other people who wanted it so bad and like who didn't have those connections. And I'm thinking about myself too. Like, why me? Mm. Why did you guys choose me? Mm-hmm. You know? So I think about that sometimes. Did that experience change the way that you viewed entertainment, journalism, and that world? Mm-hmm. It, it, I feel like it did. Um, it did. It did. It, it changed it a lot. There's a lot of damage control behind the scenes that people don't really know about. Um, and the the people that we admire the most on television, like they're totally different. They're totally different behind the scenes. You're just like, you're like, wow, you're not what I thought you were. Mm-hmm. But okay, cool. No. Like, you know, um, and, and we forget that the people on television are meant to entertain us. So that's, they're, they're given their, they're 100% to entertain us. But when they go home, that's not who they are. That's not who they are at all. Right. They're totally different. Um, and I felt like in that workspace, there was no diversity. There was one black woman, one black woman, and she she did PR. Mm. And that was it. And the other black people was like makeup and then the roots. That's crazy. And I'm over here like, that is it. That was it. Right. And I'm like. So as like, as someone in this space that, you know, you you obviously have a passion and love for it. Mm -hmm. What comes to mind when you think about making impact and change in the space? Like, how do we, how do we diversify the rooms and ensure that there's more equity and also that there's representation so that things like that don't happen? I just feel like we just need people in really, really high places to be open-minded. I feel like there needs to be a shift in leadership. I feel like we need to kick out some old school people and bring in some millennials or some younger people who have been exposed to environments with more diversity, who will understand that if we're in this room full of the same, we, are, we will always come with the same, same, same. There will never be any change or any shift. We need diversity. Like, I felt like when I was in the building, I brought another perspective that majority of these uh, Caucasian people did not understand. Mm-hmm. I brought in a joke that no one got. But when it aired, it was so funny. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, we need that perspective in the writers' rooms. Like, all the writers were Caucasian during the time that I that I um that I work there. Imagine adding one black writer and how funny that content will be. Right. And it would it would not only hit uh a majority white audiences, but you'll get a black person watching it too and like, yo, that was so funny. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I felt like in a sense that, that that was what um that was what that was what was needed. Yeah. And I will never forget my last day at that internship. Um uh, one of the top leaders, I'm not going to say her name or her position. Um, she pulled me aside. Um, and she bought me this expensive steak dinner. I will never forget for me to like take home or whatever. She did it on purpose. She wanted me to go grab her dinner 
And she was like, oh, order anything you want and then come to my office later. So I go grab her dinner and then I order anything I want. And it was like expensive. And I'm like, okay, I might as well. Um, <laughs> and then she gave me this like, you know, platinum card. I was like, oh, she got money. So then I ordered my food and then I, like, I, I, I go into her office. I'm like, here you go. And I'm like walking out. She said, oh, no, um, shut, shut the door. And then I go in and mind you, this woman, she's married to an Asian man. Um, uh, and she like sat me down and she's just like, um, I just wanted to talk to you. I know today's your last day here. Um, I just wanted to say that, um, here's my phone number. Here's my email. Um, if you ever need anything, letter recommendation or anything like that, um, just reach out to me or anything. Um, I know it's hard out there for people like you. And this is a Caucasian woman who's looking at me in my eyes. She said, I know it's hard out. It's going to be hard out there for people like you. And if you need any help or anything, just reach out to me. And I literally looked at her. I'm like, so y'all know. So y'all know it's hard out here for us. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> y'all know, but y'all be acting like. Right. Yeah, I don't you won't, see you won't hold the door open. Yeah, you won't create, exactly. Create lands but, yeah, but, then you get, but then it's like you guys pick out the ones that you feel are very special to you, right. who made an impact. You know, in, 15 of the 16 interns. Exactly. Yeah. And stuff. And when she did that, I was like, wow, th- thank you. I, I really appreciate that. But then that moment made me feel like, oh, she's hip. Mm-hmm. She She saw my journey. She saw my journey before I experienced it. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 saw it in many ways there exactly right and probably was hip to to what happened exactly but it's like you know in some ways the question is what was done to you know to fix that exactly to remedy that situation right or was it like a oh man this industry is tough that's how it is and then mm-hmm. let me just do some damage damage control and let you know that I'm here for you if you need anything yeah but you know. That was that That's was tough. a very interesting moment that I had with her because I was like, wow, you know, and it was like so strategic the way she did it to yeah. It's like she needed to to, you know, say that to me and, you know, extend her her resources to me because she knows that if I try to fetch it on my own, it'll be, it will be 10 times harder. Yeah. Than, um Than Andrews. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So. That was your last internship, and I think you were, you were speaking about navigating the end of college and being uncertain about where you wanted to go with your career. Mm-hmm. So what did you end up deciding? Yes, I knew that I did not want to uh, uh, put myself in the entertainment industry just yet. I don't know if that would change in the future, so I knew that n- maybe not this. Um, I didn't really like that portion of it. It was just like so many different hands and a little, little job. It was just like, and I did not like New York at all I was like this is not the place for me right. at all I hated it it was just subway systems it's the heat smells <laughs> it was just too much and I didn't like the crab in a barrel lifestyle that people had down there um I was like this is not for me so um I graduated Hampton without a job um but I knew that I wanted to do news I knew I liked news I knew that I didn't want to be a reporter or on camera um, I knew that I loved entertainment, but I didn't want to work for a larger corporation or anything like that. Um, I knew that I was a great writer. I knew that I was very social media savvy. I knew I like, I wrote down what I was good at, what I wasn't. 
And then I just kind of like tailored my job search into that. I wasn't chasing the money. I was chasing more of the profession. What I see myself doing that will make me happy to get me to where I need to be. So it wasn't about the money. Um, so that it took a little bit harder, but it was like, I want to be comfortable too, but then I want the right job. So, and I got really, really, really blessed and lucky because during that time I lived in Baltimore and then I got a job as a digital producer Mm. in Baltimore. Mm. So when I tell you blessings on blessings on blessings, I did not have to uncomfortably move to a random state whatsoever. Um, I got to stay home, like stack bread go to work, do what I love and come back home. Like I got, I lucked up big time. How'd you land that? Man, I keep thinking about it. And honestly, I felt like I got tired of hearing no's. I did a lot of research on people, made some calls. Um, I put myself out there, uh, reached out to mentors who are also in news to like, you know, prep me for these interviews um, and, you know, help me figure it out. I studied, like I studied a lot, figured it out. Um, And then all I needed was just that one person to just interview me and just, and just see what I was able to bring to the table. And that, that was how I landed that job. Just hard work and mad sacrifice and like sleepless nights. And, reaching back for help. I know we like to live this life and like, I could do it on my own. I got it. But in some situations, no, you really don't. Like you need help from people who have done it before, like to really guide you through it. And that's how I landed that job and a lot of prayer. I know that's right. Yeah. So that was like my first job out of college. What was that like for you? Um, I really, really loved that um, job. I really loved that environment. I learned so much. I made so many mistakes there. It was such a great market um, to just um, be in a very fast-paced news environment. Like, it's okay to make some mistakes and learn. And I felt like the, the journalists that were there poured into me and really were were there for me and, like, taught me along the way. It made me such a stronger journalist to the point where when before I left there, my boss saw me as a leader there. Mm. She literally told me, she said, if you didn't leave, I was, I was thinking about making the digital director. And I'm like, I'm, I'm literally, I'm I'm 20 something years. Like what? Me? me. Oh my God. Like, I was like, what? Like, ah, I can't believe it. Like, but it was just like, what? She wanted me to lead a team of people. Like, because of just how much I, like, I, I just, they poured into me and I'll, I'll take every single I'll take advice from left to right. I will do it better, 10 times better or whatever. But I learned so much from that, um, from, from, from that market and from that news station. I'm just so grateful for it, honestly. That's real. Mm-hmm. So why, how come you end up transitioning? So um, my mom always told me, um, and we're probably going to refer back to what we've talked about before. My mom always told me, don't ever get comfortable And remember I told you the story about when I was in high school and she saw that I was getting comfortable and she had to change my situation. So I thought about it in my real life sense. So it kind of repeated again. Like I got to a point where I was very comfortable. And um, when you are in comfortable places, you don't grow. When I was in Bladensburg and I was comfortable, I did not grow at all. It took me for me to be uncomfortable for me to grow and get to another level where I needed to be. 
And as crazy as that sounded to so many people, why would you do a career change when you're okay, you're happy with your job, you're doing well in your job or whatever? And I said, I need to grow. There's so many things that I still have to learn. There's so many, like, I need to experience more things. And on top of that, I need to make more money, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, gosh, mm-hmm. that's really what y'all want to hear. I need to make more money. Right. <laughs> but it was kind of like, it was that moment. So I thought back at that moment in my life. I'm like, it brought me good. You know, it was a struggle, but I need to make it happen again. So I left because I wanted to grow. I wanted to be in an environment where it was even faster, where I was around people who were way smarter than me. Um, I was around people who would push me because in, in Baltimore, I was I felt like I was pushing other people and I was mm-hmm. lifting a team with me because yeah. I knew so much. Yeah. But there has to be somewhere else where I don't know enough that they can teach me. I can push myself. So that's where I landed. Um in the next top market in DC where I'm around people. Uh Uh-huh. And you are, I am at channel nine news in DC, WSA nine. Yes. I am a digital editor producer there. Um, so same job description, but just, um, in a larger market and, uh, a new area. So it, but just more responsibility and just, I work with people who are just like, wow, she's so smart. Wow. Oh my gosh. I'm not that smart. Like, you know, um, and that, that forces you to grow and I can't express to you. I've grown so much. Like I literally have a boss who, whose intellectual level is just on another level that like I have, when he talks to me before I respond, I pause just to make sure I, I got every single word that he said. Okay, gotcha. Right. And then I say, okay. Yeah. Because he, he comes with so much knowledge. And um, and that's something that like I'm, I'm really grateful for, honestly, being in that environment. And being around experienced journalists who've been in the industry for over 30 years and will just tell you this, 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 that, and that. Like yeah. I'm learning so much. And um, I, I really love where I am right now. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So where do you feel like you are when you when you assess kind of this water analogy of heating up and getting to that point where you're boiling and and such? Where do you where do you feel like you you fall on that spectrum? So I don't think I'm boiling yet. I don't think I'm at 99. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when you boil water and you see the little bubbles come in mm-hmm. and like 71 it, degrees to be oh, exact. Oh, that's 71 degrees. Yeah. Wow. Is that where you at? Yeah, I'm okay. at 71 degrees. Um, I am not at my full 99. And when I do reach my 99, I will text you. Like, <laughs> I made it, okay? Hey. Uh, but there's just so, like, I just feel like, I just feel like um, my light shines so bright, you know? And I feel like if I've made it this far from, like, doing hood rat stuff with my hood rat friends to now like working for (laughs) like a top market in in the whole nation like when I look at that journey it's kind of like no I have way more to accomplish way more to achieve and just so much more and so many more stories to tell who knows I may have another identity crisis in five years who knows Mm -hmm. but it's just like those things really shape me to be who I am and where I am today and I'm so grateful for it so I'm gonna humbly take my 71 degrees and um when I reach my 80 I will know that I'm just just steps closer steps closer to 99 yeah 100% and what may 100 99 degrees 100 degrees celsius what might that look like for you like 
as you think through your career and the things that you're aspiring to do in the world of journalism, writing, and just a creative career in general, what does the mountaintop look like for you? Okay, so my mountaintop is basically reaching the point in my career where I feel like I reach self-actualization. Um, so in a career sense, I really want to be like a digital director. I want to be, you know, the leader in the newsroom. The way that news is moving right now, no one is sitting and waiting for the five o'clock news anymore. And everyone's moving digital, news is on demand or whatever. I want to be that driving force to make sure that news is accessible to millennials and Generation Z, I believe that's what they're called. So I wanna make sure that um, news continues to have an impact on the world. And um, for me, like that industry is something I'm just so passionate about and I definitely wanna make sure that um, I reach that point in my life. So I'm just gonna keep working, making sure that I reach it and get to where I need to be, learn as much um, information. I want people to rely on me. And when I mean that is, I want to continue to pour into others. I want to make other people's dreams come true as well. Um, like the same way many people made my dreams come true too. So that is that 100 for me. It's not about the money. Um, it's really about the impact. I want to make a lasting impact, not only um, for my generation, but for my family. Um, I want to make my mom proud. I want to make my children proud. And, I, and and at the end of the day, I just want to make myself proud. Yeah. So that's my 100. And when I reach that point, I don't know when that time will be. It could literally be next year. Yeah. I don't know. I if know. I work really hard, if I focus, or it could literally be in 15 years. Mm -hmm. But I'm just really ready for the ride. Um, one advice that like my grandmother told me, she was just like, you know, people live their lives trying to, do stuff that makes them happy or whatever the case may be. But what people fail to realize is the journey to get there is really like the beauty of Absolutely. that moment. Absolutely. Um, when you are riding out that journey to get to where you need to be, it makes like that 100 um, degrees Celsius moment so worth it. Absolutely. Because when you're there, you're like, I came there, I went there, I conquered that. And that was my story. So I'm really riding out this journey. I'm going to enjoy the ups and downs um, and just pray that when my 100 degrees moment comes, yeah. you know, I'm ready for it and um, I impact everyone that comes my way. For sure. And, you know, the, I, I always think about it, you know, within the analogy and every day is a cup of tea, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, once you boil this pot and you get to 100 you know, you're at 99, you get to 100, the next journey starts, right? Because mm. you're talking about like, oh, I may hit it next week. You may. And, you know, the minute that happens, yeah, you'll be at boiling. You've accomplished that goal. Right. But, you know, you'll set a new pot on water, on uh, on fire, and get that new pot boiling um, or the journey to boiling for whatever the next goal is. And so it's the continuous process of, you know, what's the next thing that I'm on this journey on? Uh, getting better at or heating up or warming up at so exactly yeah I'm excited for you um last thing I wanted to ask is you know do you think that there's you know when you think about 99 and and all of the influence that you'll have and you know you talk about giving back and creating opportunity for people do you think that there's anything surrounding the idea of diversity that may exist for you um especially talking about some of the the lack of thereof in in the, in the space 
Um, I would say absolutely, like, diversity is very important important to me. I feel like the entertainment space that I was working in, there was a lack of diversity. But the space that I work in today, there is there's so much diversity. So it definitely depends on the work environment that you're choosing to be in, the companies that you're choosing to be in. But I will definitely say that wherever I see myself, there will be some sort of diversity there. Like I am a Muslim woman. I am black. I am African. Like I am a triple threat diversity right now. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like I bring something to the table that I feel like other people can't bring. I bring another experience. I work for a DC news market, but then there's people in there who never grew up in a DC area, but I have. So I bring the, the, the perspective of the people, Yeah, you know, so I'm an asset and I want to bring all of these stories together to build a huger story. And that's the beauty of it. So that will definitely be part of my goal, bringing that sort of diversity there. Well said. Well, Kalita, this is dope. I appreciate you sitting down and talking with me. Uh, Such a beautiful journey. And as a fellow writer and person that's just creative, I'm enjoying seeing you blossom and grow in your space. And I know you'll continue to do so. So I'll be here watching and collaborating with you in whatever way possible. Mm -hmm. And I wish you the best of luck. And I look forward to seeing you continue on that journey. Thank you for dropping by the podcast. And we'll see you soon. Thanks for having me. Bye, Peace and love. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of 99 Celsius. Again, I'm your host, Marco Quay. For updates on the pod, follow us on Instagram at 99Celsius, all spelled out. New episodes air each and every Monday. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share the pod with others. Until next time.